Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism. Answers. It's the place where we boldly go, where no host has ever gone before in the world of autism. We go beyond awareness, beyond the what-ifs, all the way to let's make stuff up and come up with answers because, hey, nobody else is doing it. And that's my job. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, and today is going to be such an amazing, amazing show. But before I tell you about it, we need a question. Today's question is, what the heck does Phineas and Ferb have to do with autism? And believe it or not, we're going to answer that. So before we get to our guest and find out what that journey is going to be like and get to that answer, I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show because that's when we have Stories for the Road. And of course, before that is OK, 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 the great guest giveaway. So here we are. We're going to talk to our guest. He's a marvelous guy. I met him a few years back. I was blessed. He's multifaceted, incredibly talented. He's talented in music. He's talented as a writer. He's talented as a performer. He's been around forever and a day, but he's young. Uh, and, <laughs> and I was kind of getting to know him at the beginning of his career as a writer for Phineas and Ferb, certainly not the beginning of his career at the beginning of Phineas and Ferb. And so I want to talk to him a little bit about writing for children. This is Martin Olson. Thank you for being here, Martin. Well, thank you, Lynette. <clears throat> Thanks for that super introduction. Oh, you're more than welcome. Actually, your resume is way too long for me to spout. And so let's get to it. Let's get to it. So Phineas and Ferb, right. did it ever occur to you that you would be writing for autism? Well, certainly Ferb is a silent one, and in a way that has been discussed that he um, that that's a possibility, really. So you're right on. That's interesting because it never occurred to me that um, that that this <coughs> thing you were creating was going to have an appeal for the kids that I work with. I I don't know why that escaped me, but. Let's do this one piece at a time. So here we are. Sure. I go to Disney. I meet your fellow friends. You're just beginning this this journey of creating Phineas and Ferb. And I have to say, right. I've never seen so many people so excited about a cartoon that has doesn't exist yet. And I was shocked. I didn't realize the degree to which people who write for children adore what they do. I, honest to God, Martin, I didn't get that until I went and met all your fellow writers and saw how excited everybody was. Somehow I thought that was sort of what you do when you can't get a real job. <laughs> well, what it is is that it depends on who's running any job. If you're selling real estate or you're you know, a member on a swim team, it's all of whoever the boss is. And so the two bosses of this are just totally creative guys. And they, um, it, believe me, it's not like that on every show. I, I write comedy, but I've written three or four kid shows and Luckily, it's been with guys that were extremely fun to work with and loved making up stories and songs for kids. So that's what that's what this was about. Plus, the idea of this one was kind of to be a... <clears throat> they kind of went on the idea of children's aspirations because Phineas and Ferb are interested in making their dreams come true every day. Well, I, I found myself... So I'm traveling all over the world, and I told you, I remember emailing you saying, I saw Phineas and Ferb again. I can't tell you how many kids... You know, cut to several years later, the show's starting to happen. It's out there, and people are paying attention to it. And 
I'm working with a different autistic kid every week and in right. different parts of the world, and lo and behold, they're watching Phineas and Ferb. I know. It's funny, isn't it? It's very funny, and it made me curious as to what it was. But, I mean, because there's lots of cartoons. I mean, there's lots of children's programming. They could have been watching, you know, a plethora of different things, and I kept seeing Phineas and Ferb over and over again. And used to be Thomas the Train. All the right. Time. Right. And so it was, I understood that because everybody was saying inanimate objects or, you know, attract autistic kids. But I couldn't really get the Phineas and Ferb thing. Now, I figured it out, but I <coughs> want to know if you... Oh, think, good. Yeah, no, you tell me, though. What do you think it is that's so attractive to them? Well, most kid shows aren't geared to be IQ boosts for kids. This whole show is like a puzzle. Every show has three stories in it. <coughs> Excuse me. And every... And two groups of characters don't even know of the other's existence. Two of the main characters don't speak. And um, at the end, <coughs> it always ends the same. So there's a kind of a comfort feeling of watching the show, but you never know how it's going to get to that place. So it's like a little mathematical formula where three events <clears throat> intersect in unexpected ways. So there's a lot of delight and fun watching it, knowing what the formula is, but knowing that we're playing around with the formula. So Dan and Swampy, the guys that created the show, initially wanted to do a show that would be an IQ boost for kids. So it's extremely smart show, which is, wasn't the norm for kids programming. A SpongeBob was a very smart show, though. Okay. I think you hit on a bunch of the things, the puzzle aspect, because that's really common, a common interest with kids with autism. The IQ boost, we're going to come back, circle back to that in a minute, and the mathematical aspect of it being in different, you know, the three pieces that have to come together. But there's, um, the, there's the music. Yeah. Luckily, we're really good songwriters, so, I mean, we did that just was luck. So, Three of us have written before, and then it turns out that two of the other people in here are professional songwriters, and so we said, well, write some songs, let's do it. And so we just was more, the more the merrier, so it was a lot of fun. Okay. And then there's, um, then there's the thing that I think is your real key. I think it's the fact that, and it took me a while to figure this out, but every episode... These kids have this whole imaginary thing that happens, or it really happens, or whatever. That's a right. to decide. But anyway, this enormous adventure happens that goes on in the backyard, and then the sister is going to catch them and show you know, the mom, and it, it never turns out that their reality is seen by the other people. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing in terms of autism. That's interesting. Isn't it? And it took me a while to capture this. I'm like, what is it about this show? But over and over and over again, these kids have this whole reality that can't be, it just can't be accessed by the adults. So it's amazing. It's amazing. It's so much like what they live through day after day after day. And then I went, oh, I get it. So it's close to that because the reality of the structure of the show is that dad is kind of like, he's kind of just drifting through life, so he doesn't quite, but, but it's, mom is a, is, is a super casual, loving, funny, not a disciplinarian, and just really just goes with the flow with the kids. So um, 
she's the only one that doesn't see things, but she's the most important character because it all hinges on her not seeing it. Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's the whole well, attachment. <laughs> yeah. So there's the music, and there's the um, you know there's the puzzle aspect. But I think it's mostly that that's how the kids feel. Like here I am living this life, and nobody can see my story. So I thought it was really interesting. Uh, that's that, really amazing. I didn't ever thought of it like that. Certainly, mom acknowledges their imagination and thinks that the daughter is just over imagining things and that the kids are just having a fun time of pretend. So the fun of the show is they're actually doing this stuff. Exactly. And and like many of these kids that are autistic, they have siblings that are <laughs> being driven crazy by the reality they live in and the way they behave. So, I mean, it's really quite a mirror for what they're living with. And I love that it's an IQ lift because a lot of the time the stuff that people think autistic kids would enjoy watching doesn't have a lot of um, intellect in it. I and see, yeah, because one of the things about the show, the stories, you have to really watch them and you have to watch carefully because some of the things hinge on little details that happen. It's kind of like the closest thing I can think of is Columbo. Columbo is a show for adults where... <coughs> The structure is always the same. The first half hour, you don't even see the star of the show. You just see the murder happening. And then, just like clockwork, the first half hour, the, the, the Columbo comes in, and then you know for the rest of it exactly what's going to happen. He's going to somehow trick the guy into <laughs> <laughs> revealing himself with clues or just trickery. A very high IQ show. Strangely enough, you always know what's going to happen in exactly the structure of it. It's always the same. So it has an analogy to that show. It also has an analogy to Seinfeld, which is a very one of the most popular shows ever, too, which had three stories intersecting in unexpected ways. So you had to watch it, and it just each story was really funny, so it was a bit of a puzzle. So it's kind of half Seinfeld, half Columbo. That's an interesting place to get your um, format comparisons from. You know, I think there's there's something else here, too, and I kind of alluded to it before, and that's the passion. You guys seem to really enjoy making this happen. Um, when I brought Shay, do you remember when I brought Shay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Shay is my grandson, and um, I emailed Martin and said, you know, Shay really likes your... Uh, yada yada. I can't remember which episode it was, and um, but I Shay had asked me to tell you. Oh, I really like this episode. Make sure the writer right. knows. And and so <laughs> you were so kind to invite him to come and have a little tour. And you know Shay used to be on the spectrum and is still a little bit quirky sweet. And right. and so you guys were so incredible. Now, what was the name of the fellow who went through the whole movie with Shay? Uh, Dan Povenmire. He's one of the writers, and our, he's also a cartoonist, right? Yes. It was amazing. He went through the whole thing. He sat there with his little template, and he, and he told him the whole thing, and he was laughing at the jokes with Shay, and it was, it was just so awesome. And I get in the car. I know I've already told you this, Martin, but I haven't told the audience. So I get in the car, yeah. 
And I'm driving home with him, and he's had this wonderful tour, and he's gotten all these little giveaways you guys shared, and even a couple right. of secrets coming up about the future movie, you know, that he couldn't tell anyone until it was out. So he was feeling really special, and he's sitting in the, uh, you know, in the seat beside me, and I'm driving, and he's looking at all the oncoming traffic, and he goes, you know, I feel sorry for all those people. <laughs> I bet they wish they were me. <laughs> for real and then he goes they never went to learn about Phineas and Ferb like I did <laughs> that's so funny isn't that adorable yeah that's a riot and he's right <laughs> so I think that's what made me so much want to talk to you is that it's you kind of are writing in a vacuum in a way I mean how do you know how much you're touching everyone if it doesn't circle its way back to tell you well, no, that's wonderful, but the truth of the matter is me and my friends who write comedy don't care about what people think. And so we just write for ourselves, and that's been the key to success, for real. So uh, hearing back that, it's, that people are vibing into it, you say, oh, thank goodness, my formula for happiness and su- success is working for, for not only for me and my friends, but for other people. <laughs> Well, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so it's good being able to learn the secret early <laughs> on that you just you don't care if people are even even laughing. You're just making sure you're laughing, and you're making sure that you're satisfied. And the, because the problem, of course, is with the people who are hiring you. You know, either executives or producers. You know, it isn't always there isn't always agreement or understanding happening. So. The closest thing you can do is either stick to your guns and do what you know is good and then get fired. You know, what the heck? I'm sorry, and then get on, go on to the next job, you know? I'm sitting here laughing because you guys sound autistic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because sure that's, really, that's the secret to being really um, great at something that you hyper-focus on, and that's kind of the complaint you always hear about the kids that are into drawing or, you know, into storytelling that they really don't care if anyone else grooves on it or not. So I thought that was pretty funny. Totally true. It's the way to happiness, for sure. Yeah, and also success because it isn't, you don't double-think things or you don't have to write for someone other than your own self who you're writing for anyways. You're just writing to make yourself laugh and things you know would be funny. And, of course, you want to have fun and have people have fun and be successful, but that is the way to do it. I agree. So if there was a message then that you were going to give to, let's say, because this is your opportunity to say something very important. Yeah, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which, I, which I have nothing to say, but keep saying it. <laughs> but if you, if, you, if you wanted to give, let's say, advice to, yeah. um, you know, just some, some fellow who might be a little bit on the spectrum and he wanted to break into the business and, and write for a... a television show, what would you say? Um, just that same thing I just said in a different way. I would say that you're that it's the best way to always do get writing, for example, if you're writing a book or you're writing a story to, to try to get published or you're writing a poem or you write don't think about the audience at all. Just write it for yourself and make it so that you eat you laugh or you it brings you moves you to tears, you know, reading it. Or or it's shocking to you, you know what I mean? 
said, oh, my God, should I be writing this? What the heck? And, and then just do it. And the second thing is that when you do have to deal with other people, and this may be something that's not uh, doable with some, in, in terms of some autism, but the, 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 there has to be some awareness of being respectful to the people that you're working with. So that's the only thing I would, those are the two main things, you know, autism or not. It's right for yourself, and the other thing is to be very respectful to the people you're working with. I really love that you said that. So you brought something up that I haven't ever brought up on the show before. So can you give me just one example of a way in which, because let's, you know, a lot of time people that are autistic don't, we say to them, be respectful. We use the word like respectful, and they're like, well, I don't even know what you mean. So just one example of a way in which they might have to be respectful at the workplace. Sure. Well, in this job here, you mean, as a writer, yes, right? Yes, yes. In For example, I'm working, and the people who hire me are the executives of the show. And the executives are not writers, or else they would be writing the show. But they have to put the show together, and they have to approve the shows. And so say you write a story for, for Phineas and Ferb. Then you have to pitch that and write it up and write up the story, and then it has to be approved by the executives who run the show. Executives don't get the show or don't uh, understand the joke. There's two things that could be happening. Either you know their sense of humor isn't meshing with yours on this one, on this story, or you didn't write it correctly. Either case, um, since you're working for them, the respect comes in by saying, "Okay, let me. This one isn't working. Let me do another one." Instead of arguing and it is so funny making them, <laughs> making them feel uh, inadequate because if they don't get it, they don't get it. And so your job as a writer, there are infinite things, stories. There's never an end to stories. It's infinite. So the attitude for respect should be just to, you know, if you. If there's something being missed by carelessness or not reading something correctly, then you could say, no, 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 it says over here, it's get it, oh, I see, like that. But if it's just a sense of humor thing, you could say, well, okay, I understand, you know, it's not your cup of tea, so let me do another one. So that's what I mean by respect, rather than arguing with them and making them feel inadequate. Because subjective taste, you know, it's their bulk, they're the ones who are paying you, so you have to be respectful to them and their job, even if... In some cases, they don't quite get something. Okay, let me. I'll do another one that you will get. That's a great answer. Thanks. So that's an example of. No, that's a great answer. I think that's a challenge for lots of guys and gals that are on the spectrum. So I think that's a great place to end. I really appreciate that you came on the show, Martin. Well, it's wonderful talking with you. And I I actually learned so much because I had never thought of the show like that, and it's amazing that parallels that are to autism with this, with those elements in the show. And I think it's because that, uh, I guess the word would be genius or whatever it is when there's some, the whole show is about two genius kids. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with that and you have to present ideas in a novel way, I'd never, it never occurred to me that that would be the same process about autism who are on the edge of a, of a different way of thinking, which is what genius is, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that very often we could call our autistic folks very quirky, unfully yeah. adept geniuses. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Unfinished heart, unfinished brain, 
unfinished tears. They fall like rain. Wow, that was Martin Olson, writer for Phineas and Ferb. Okay, 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 okay. It is time for the great guest giveaway. I always feel like that um, old uh, serial commercial where you had Tigger on the box or the tiger by the tail or something, and they'd always go, it's great. So here we are. We're going to have a great guest giveaway. Um, today's guest is uh, actually somebody that I've met. I, I don't know if you all have noticed this, but I tend to pick people I already know. There's a reason for that. It's called vetting. In the world of radio, we do like to make sure that the person we're talking to is someone who will be not only comfortable talking to us, but also somebody that we want to shine a light on. And I really want to shine a light on this lady. Um, I met her recently working with a, a child that I am working with on the East Coast. Remember, we travel all over the world here. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be really honest with you. I sometimes have a hard time with speech therapists and speech pathologists in the world of autism because there tends to be a belief in an order of operations in the acquisition of language that is often, if not always, different for children with autism because the reason behind their challenges with language tends to be different. So um, I'm always on the lookout for someone who is receptive and intuitive and knowledgeable, and I met her. So we're going to talk to her. Her name is Joan Green. She's a speech and language pathologist in Washington, D.C. area. She's had lots of years of experience helping children and adults with, you know, like a wide range of communication, cognitive, literacy, and learning challenges. But she's also marvelous at understanding how to shift and adjust for someone with autism. So I love this. I love this about her so much. Um, she's actually developed a unique, what she would call state-of-the-art local and long-distance therapy coaching and training program for families and professionals, which I think we'd like to talk to her about a little bit before we get into her giveaway. Um, and just, just to brag one more thing, she received a Most Outstanding Contribution to the Field Award from the Maryland Speech-Language Hearing Association. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of that award, so let's start with that. Hi, Joan. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, and thank you for being willing to come on the show. What is the Most, let's see, most Outstanding Contribution to the Field Award? What's that about? You know, I just belong to um, a bunch of associations, but this was the Maryland Speech Language Hearing Association, and and I, it's just a lot of the members get together and vote for who they think has contributed the most, and I guess my name came up um, the most. It wasn't anything that I actually had lobbied for. I was surprised, actually, when I had, was at this conference and they had announced my name, oh, so that was crazy. really nice. Yeah, so what was it they, they, they felt you had done that contributed? I mean, to contribute to a whole field is a big deal. Oh. Well, my, um, you know, I've been in the field over 25 years, and, and through the years it's become m more frustrating to see how mainstream speech therapy works in the traditional sense because it doesn't really empower people to help themselves, and insurance is cutting people off sooner and sooner, and the schools aren't able to provide all that children need. So I'm all about finding ways to help families help their own situation, whether it be an adult with a stroke or a child with autism or 
somebody with learning disabilities. And I have found through the years that technology really can be a very powerful tool when matched appropriately to the child and when people use it in the appropriate ways. And so that's become my niche is really speaking a lot around the country about how to use technology to enhance progress. Oh, which is one of the reasons that I'm so excited to have you on because ever since that ABC episode or that little clip about um, using the iPad, everybody's been asking, asking, asking. So I'm asking you, talk to us about that. Yeah, that it has been interesting. You know, I've been trying to um, promote the use of technology for years, but ever since the iPad came out, it has really changed things, um, especially for children and adults with autism, because um, it's so easy to use. And in one way, it's great because more families are feeling that they can help um, the individuals in their family by using the iPad, and it's it's fairly affordable, and the apps or the software on it isn't all that expensive. So it's great that more and more people are getting their hands on this. The problem is that a lot of people think it's this magic cure. And as soon as you give a child or an adult with autism a certain app or apps, it's going to empower them to communicate, and it just doesn't work that way. It's just a tool, but it really does um, increase the level of motivation for a person to respond to things, and it's very entertaining and accepted. So I think it really can help um, the situation, but it's it's not a cure-all. I love that you said that. Um, so how would you adapt it to autism as opposed to, say, say a stroke victim? What, 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 what do you see as the difference? Because this is a big question I get all the time uh, mm-hmm. from families, you know, dealing with the disorder. So you apply your, tech, your knowledge to that question. Well, one of the big differences, I mean, I've been working with stroke and aphasia. That was originally my primary area of interest. And there you don't really have to deal with motivating somebody. Typically when I'm working with adults and even brain tumors and degenerative neurological diseases and things like that, um, except for some people who have strokes on the right side of the brain where they have anisognosia, reduced awareness of their problem, they think they're fine. So that's a whole different story. But other other than or anoxic encephalopathy, a lot of those patients think they're fine and, and have no insight into deficits. But other than that, usually when somebody has a stroke, they're really motivated to improve and get back to communicating, you know, reading, writing, talking, listening, thinking, remembering how they did before. With the kids, one of the biggest differences I find is with um, working with children on the spectrum, you really have to find what motivates them. And that's often the biggest challenge. Um, And you also have to be careful about giving them adequate rest time. And um, it's uh, everyone is, I mean, in some senses, it doesn't matter who I work with because everybody's an individual. Everybody learns in different ways. Everybody has different interests and motivations. and, And so... Everything I do is individualized, so it doesn't really matter what the etiology. I just go with what I see that works, and if something isn't working, you have to change it and figure out how, how to reach that person and help them show what they know. But I think you hit on something that's really, really, really true of uh, many disorders, and autism being one of them, um, especially for autism. You know that saying, you don't know what you don't know? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of true here. You, when you have someone who's had the ability to communicate, who's had that in a, you know, for years and has been moved their world that way, when that's wiped away from a stroke or some such you know, a degenerative illness or something, then they know what it is they're trying to get back to. They've mm-hmm. experienced that interactive power. And very often the children, unless they had 
you know, maybe childhood disintegrative disorder and really recall the earlier years, they they don't. They've never lived that. So they don't know what it is that they don't know. And that's why they're harder to motivate because they don't know the reason behind it. Why would I want to do all this work right. and be able to communicate? What's the big deal here? You guys are chattering away. It doesn't look so great. So you have to make it in their best interest to do what you want them to do. <laughs> right. And, and you so said it exactly you know? right. Thank you. <laughs> so but that's you know, really it, true. Yeah, and I think where a lot of um, professionals make the mistake is they just try the same thing over and over and over and over again, and it doesn't work, but then they don't change things. Exactly. Um, and exactly. so sometimes you have to be extremely creative, and, and it's hard. You have to really think outside the box and... Um, I think that the potential is greater now than ever before for kids to improve because what they need, what they often benefit from is visual representation of things in lots of practice. And so if, if it's fun for them and they enjoy it and they can do the same thing over and over again, for example, using the iPad with literacy, you know, learning to read, learning to write, learning to communicate, it, you know, you really get a lot of um, good learning going on. Oh, absolutely, because the, the person sitting next to them gets tired of saying, you said that right. Yay! And, and sometimes... The machine will say it every single time. Right. And it's nice because they don't have a person giving them feedback necessarily, so there's no, you know... Judgment. I don't know. You, you don't get caught up in all of the emotion there. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times it, it doesn't drain the family because the child can be doing it on their own. So they might right. be teaching themselves to read and just think they're playing a game or having some fun. And a lot of people think you shouldn't bother with literacy, with reading and writing, if someone can't talk. And that's not true at all. A lot of, you know, these kids really should be learning reading and writing skills, even if they're unable to express themselves verbally. Oh, it may be even more so. I mean, at least that would be a communication uh, right. of sorts, and there's a way of getting the message across. It's not really much different than if a deaf person is carrying one of those little pads of paper and a pencil for communicating with someone that doesn't sign. Right. You when, need when, a way of, of expressing yourself. Absolutely, and there are a lot of families out there that think that um, some of the apps out there that help with expressive communication, you know, that sort of simulate, um, you know, their AAC apps aren't, they don't want to use them because they think people will use them as a crutch. And I, and I believe if they're used in the right way, and, and we've talked about this, it can actually, uh, you know, help somebody learn to communicate verbally. So yeah, that's the goal. Call, it's yeah. not, Go ahead. I, I just think a lot of families are afraid to present that because they think that if you give somebody another way to communicate, they won't ever talk. I, I think what people have to understand is that augmenting um, just creates a total communication device, and so then you're able to, to say something that you can't get out your mouth. You can say it another way. That just helps unstick you, and lots of these kids are apraxic. So if you can get unstuck from the problem and move on and get the joy of communication, then you do know what you don't know you do start to see how communication moves your world and empowers you. And then at some point you realize it's a drag to have to go find your iPad to do that. So if you can surround the child with constant encouragement to try and speak as well and to see the, the ease with which they can be heard, 
from the spoken word that you're actually going to improve on their ability to speak by adding augmentation, not the other way around. Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one hot area of interest in the world of assistive technology and speech pathology and um, with all these professionals is I think that it's, it's great to get your um, for the families to be able to get their hands on some of these apps and many are being developed by parents of children who are on the spectrum. But there's, there are a lot of tried and true techniques out there with the older devices, the Dynavox devices and Prankyromic devices, and, and especially kids with a lot of motor issues. Sometimes those devices and the inherent programming, language programming within them are better than some of the less expensive apps that are out there. And, and really a professional should be used to help select the right device and the right program. So what's happening is in the world, parents are going out and buying all these tools and presenting them to the speech pathologist or the assistive technology specialist who, who then might not feel that that's the most appropriate way to go. And there's a lot of conflicts going on, and I think it's an interesting time because some schools won't allow an iPad in the school. Others are providing iPads. Some, are, some um, assistive technology professionals, I mean, just about all of them believe that they really have to go through the whole routine of figuring out what the best um, representation system is, you know, pictures, symbols, words. There's a lot to know. And, and the dynamic display, if, if you can press on one thing and then another series of, you know, um, choices opens up. There's a lot to know about assistive technology and augmentative communication, and I think that a lot of people are trying to, are actually shortchanging the kids because they're just giving them something and not really figuring out what's best. Well, what a perfect so, segue to your book. <laughs> your assistive <laughs> technology and special education, the ultimate guide. I mean, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, my, um, my book... Now, it, it was published last March, so it's about a year old. So it was totally updated. It's, that was actually an update from my first book. So this was my second one. Um, and it does really open people's eyes to all that's out there, but you still need guidance from a professional and a good, thorough assessment. Oh, but absolutely. It, and I have, to, I have to commend you, by the way, because I'm so verbose and wordy, and you were so clean and lean in here. It's truly a catalog of possibilities. Um, but I would definitely, with this book in my hands, I would feel like an informed consumer with my uh, professional, but I wouldn't feel like I could separate out one thing from another. I'd feel like I was just a better team player. Does right. that it sound really like what you were hoping for? What, yeah, it shows people what's out there, like text-to-speech, you know, having words read out loud for you. Versus, well, first of all, I, I break it into two. They're drill and practice software and devices that improve skill levels. And then there are a lot of tools that help with compensatory strategies. So text-to-speech is an example of a compensatory type software program that reads out loud for people that have trouble reading. But in the meantime, a lot of research has shown that it, that actually improves reading skills and retention and processing um, you know, and then there's word prediction software and there's voice recognition software where you talk and it types. And, I mean, you know, the LiveScribe recording pen where you write and it records what was said at that time and links it to the, the ink, you know, where you mm -hmm. wrote so mm -hmm. that you can hear things and it can supplement the information. There are all kinds of exciting things out there available yeah. that, that are made for main affordable tools. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. It's really awesome. It's nice to see technology when it comes and assists us in this way. Um, so I have a, 
a question. When you were writing the book, who did you have in mind as your audience? Were you thinking the professional? Were you thinking the parents? Were you thinking... Well, of course, we're always thinking the child. We're always writing for the child when we're doing this or the the client because Mm -hmm. whether we're sending it to the professional or whether we're sending it to the parent, we're ultimately trying to aid the the client. But aside from that. Well, when I wrote my first book, I was really writing it for speech pathologists that help adults with strokes and head injuries. And then I rewrote that to a larger audience for adults that worked with all ages. And then I increased that to professionals who help children and adults with any kind of verbal expression, reading, writing, um, listening, thinking problem. So it was really for professionals. This book was written, um, it's, it's about half the size. It's less technical. It's, it's an easier read. And it's really for families and professionals. So I'm really trying to hit everybody because my, my mission really is to get the word out there about how technology can help because most I mean, in the schools now, technology has become mainstream. But in the worlds of um, speech pathology and occupational therapy and tutors and special educators, it's not mainstream. And it really needs to be, and I see things going that way, but it's very slow. Even the graduate education programs aren't really teaching it very much. Okay, so, oh my God, we could talk forever, and we've gone over time. So here, here we're going to close up on um, a couple of things. One is, I would love you to, it is the okay, 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 great guest giveaway. So you have to give away something. I'm hoping it's your book. Sure. Um, and you can just tell people how to go about that, what website you want them to go to. This is your time to sort of send out there all the information you want to send. And please close on. Um, some beautiful thought that you want to share. Oh, goodness. Um, Well, one thing I want to make sure to mention is I have a free newsletter that has over 7,000 opt-in subscribers. So you can go to my website, www.innovativespeech.com, I-N-N-O-V-A-T-I-V-E, speech.com, and you can just put in your email and you'll get the newsletter. And then just, just people can email me, and I will give away five books, and just tell me uh, what you'd like to use the book for. And the first five people who contact me, I will um, mail it to them. My email is joan at innovativespeech.com. Beautiful. And a beautiful thought. I would say that um, by learning more about technology, you can really maximize the potential of anyone living with an autism spectrum disorder. That's awesome. And do you see that as your mission statement? Well, not just autism. Basically, I want to empower families to help people reach their potential and enhance overall quality of life. Um, and technology is just the tool. It's, it's one. I mean, I also do mainstream, you know, non-tech therapy. Right. But this is what I'm trying to push because I think that um, people need to hear it. Awesome. Well, thank you. That was, you were great. That was awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I, I well, just really appreciate it, Joan. And keep up the good work with our guy. Oh, oh, thanks. I will do my best. So we have talked to Martin Olson about Phineas and Ferb, and we have talked to Joan Green about speech therapy. Now it is time for Stories from the Road. I was in Germany. I was in Germany, and I was working with a young man, and uh, he was so hard to get 
to play with. No matter what I tried, he was exclusive. He would turn his back on me. I'm like jumping up and cheering. I'm getting really small. I'm getting really big. I'm singing. I'm dancing. I'm crashing things. I'm I'm trying the waiting game of I just will do nothing. And nothing's working. And <laughs> And, of course, you know, I'm used to things working, so I keep trying and keep trying. And what he's doing the whole time is he's cutting out letters, and he's cutting out numbers, and he's getting them off the printer, and, you know, he's going to the computer, he's finding these pictures of letters and numbers, and he's printing them out, and then he's cutting them out, and he's getting this big stack. You know, I've tried getting a stack of blocks, and I've tried, I've tried all these different things, and I'm, you know, I'm new to this child, so... I'm really hoping that I'll find a way in the first three hours that I'm with him to connect. Nothing's working. And then he starts, and the whole time, by the way, he's not talking to me. I know he can talk. I've I've been told anyway that he can talk, but um, I haven't heard him. So then he starts uh, looking for something, and I ask, you know, can I help you find it? What is it? And he says, tape. Okay, we got a word. So he needs tape. So I go get the tape which takes me a while to find, and I find the tape, scotch tape, and he starts taping these numbers up on the wall. But he's very particular about where he tapes them, and I get to hold the tape, I get to pass the tape. You know, now we're getting words like tape, more tape, uh, long tape, short tape, you know, I'm sticking with the tape, because the tape is something that seems to be getting him to talk. And I notice that the way he's putting up these letters and numbers looks like some kind, something familiar. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but it looks familiar to me, and I'm trying to figure it out. And then I realize this looks like he's numbering doors and windows like he's in a hotel maybe or something like that. And it also occurs to me that he's, very familiar with letters and numbers, and maybe he can read. Now, nobody has said he can read. There's no reason to think he can read. He barely talks. But my, except there is one reason, and that's that my experience is that most kids can read that are autistic. It's as if they um, have one skill at a higher level than the verbal skill. It's very common in my experience. So I figure, what the heck, let's try it. So I get some paper. And I start writing, and he ignores me. So I crumple it up, and I throw it over to the wastebasket. And this time, I write in the same kind of graphics that he's using for these numbers and letters that he's taping up. And so I write, in other words, I make it very fat-looking, like a printed fat letter that's been done by a stencil. And I write, are we somewhere cool? And he gets very curious. He sees from a distance because it's big and fat. You can tell I'm doing something. I don't read it out. I just write it and fill it in. And he comes over and looks over my shoulder and he reads, are we somewhere cool? And then he says, yes, the ship. And then he goes back to doing the letters and numbers. There's a lot more to this uh, adventure with this child. I mean, we got really far. We became great friends. But the important thing here and the thing that relates to today's show is writing for children. This is about writing for children. This is about writing for yourself. This is about writing. 
kids that are on the spectrum often love writing. Just because you didn't see their ability to speak come before their ability to write doesn't mean they didn't learn it. They do everything in the opposite order. Just like I was saying with the speech therapist, the order of operations that is normal to development, crumple it up in a ball and throw it out the window. Try everything. Take your cues from the child and try, try, try. Today's question, what does Phineas and Ferb have to do with autism? Today's answer, writing for children or writing with children. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher, Hope. Host. <laughs> hope, yes, I am the hope of your life. No, I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher, host. Thank you for listening. Because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. New spin on autism. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.